Hello, everyone. It is Steph Lee, the founder of Host Agency Reviews, and you are tuning in for the Friday 15. And if somehow you've ended up on this and you're wondering what in the world is the Friday 15, it happens every Friday at 12 p.m. Central Time. And it's where you go ahead and input your industry questions to us, and we go ahead and answer them. And if we can't, we bring on an expert, which brings me to the guest today. So um, I'd like to make sure to welcome every or welcome Avery Campbell, who is the Director of Advocacy and Industry Relations over at ACTA, which is ASTA's counterpart in Canada. So welcome, Avery. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I, well, it's Friday. So every Friday I'm doing super, super, super well. Um, let's see. And, and for those um, that maybe aren't as familiar, if you're if you know Evan Peck from Asta, I think Avery is that kind of your counterpart. You would say in the U.S. Yeah. Cool. What a fun crowd. Um, let's see. Well, let's jump into our question because we have a specific question that has to do with Canadian regulations. So this is from Alex, and Alex writes, "Hello, I took a look at your infographic on starting a Canadian travel agency and found it informative. I'm confused as to the difference between an outfitter and a travel agent." For example, I would love to start a company similar to the one here, and then they cite Wild Woman Expeditions, which I'll put a link to for people that are curious. Um, and Wild Women Expeditions, they represent multiple outfitters slash suppliers around the world. Is this organization considered an outfitter or a travel agent? If I start as an outfitter, let's say a small expedition hiking trip in Quebec, do I have to register as a travel agent? What happens if I partner with other outfitters around the world under my supplier brand? Do I have to register as an agency? So lots of questions in here from Alex. So let's start with the first one, Avery. Um, I, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at Wild Women Expeditions, but would you say that that's a outfitter or a travel agency? I think, um, so I, I want to preface this by saying um, these are legal regulatory questions. And ultimately, um, registrants in a regulated province um, should be approaching uh, legal counsel and or the regulator uh, to get formal advice. Um, so in Canada, um, there are three provinces where uh, the activities of a travel agency are regulated. So those are British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec. If you're located in a different province or in one of the territories, um, these are not regulated and you are not subject to specific licensing rules. You are still subject to consumer protection rules and other laws and regulations that any business would be subject to, but there's no specific regulation. But if you are located or do business in um, one of the three regulated provinces, um, then you do have to look whether or not you meet the definition uh, of a travel agent or another licensable class of business entities under that province's um, uh, regu uh, regulation. The term outfitter um, is, a, is a term that really is only um, used formally in the province of Quebec. So you, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't commonly see this uh, in the regulations or in the laws in the provinces of Ontario or British Columbia, at least as they appertain to um, the travel sector. There might mm -hmm. be other regulations outside of that that I'm not aware of, but as it relates to the travel sector, the, uh, an outfitter is not a, a, a regulated class in Ontario um, and British Columbia. So I think, 
you know, I'm not in a position to say um, whether a business meets the, uh, you know, the Quebec's definition of an outfitter, but an outfitter typically is an entity um, that does hiking and hunting and fishing trips um, in the region. Um, so if you are looking to become an outfitter, particularly in Quebec, you're going to be subject to rules, potentially to travel rules, which we'll speak to, I, I expect in a moment, but you also have to make sure you're aware of things like hunting rules and fishing rules um, and other rules that might appertain to tour operators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, yeah, let's move into the, well, actually, let me show everyone, I'm just gonna share my screen really quick because I pulled up the article that Alex was referring to. So this is um, on the website. If you, there's a search bar in the very type, if you aren't uh, watching this on YouTube, you can go ahead and go to the site and just type in Canadian regulations for travel agencies and it will pull up this article. But you can see here the three provinces that we kind of talked about with the regulations. So if you wanna dig into that more, we'll put the link in the comments for everybody. All right, so let's move on to the next question that's in here. Okay, so they're saying if they start um, as an outfitter, and that's that local small expedition hiking trip in Quebec, do they have to register as a travel agent? So if they sell travel sold by another entity, mm -hmm. then they would likely have to register as a travel agent. If they themselves are just uh, doing uh, local tours, then it is likely that they do not meet the requirements under the Quebec Travel Agents Act um, for registration under that class of licensee. However, there may be other classes or regulations that apply to outfitters um, that are not really in you know, the wheelhouse of the travel agency sector that um, any business, you know, a potential outfitter business should consult with legal counsel to understand what their obligations might be in other aspects of the regulatory system. So if they were working, like if they worked with a local um, outfitter and were doing like canoe trips or something um, and some fishing along the way and they hired some fishing guides, would that be like reselling? Would they be considered a travel advisor then because they're reselling like the product that of like the fisher guide and the um, outfitter or does that make sense? Yeah. So if they start, um, contracting other, uh, travel entities to, um, then, you know, and then they re essentially they're reselling the services of other travel entities to customers. Mm -hmm. uh, they may very well fall under the licensee regulations in the province. So it, it just kind of depends on who they're contracting with and if they're considered a travel entity. Exactly. Okay. So one more question from Alex here. What happens if I partner with other outfitters around the world under my supplier brand? Do I have to register as a travel agency? So it really comes down to the question of, are you selling travel services by others? There are other things that you need to look into the uh, Quebec travel regulations. But um, I, I would strongly caution uh, that if you are a business and you're um, going to sell the services of other travel businesses, um, you, you very well may uh, be subject to travel agent regulations. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Well, Alex, we hope that that answers your question. And Avery, thank you so much for coming on. Normally we have, oh, look it, there's Orion in the back hanging out. Um, we usually keep the co-host on for the whole time, but since Avery is very specific in what he does, um, the other ones don't, the other questions don't have to do with Canadian regulations. So we'll say goodbye, but Avery, thank you so much for coming on. And if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about ACTA and join ACTA, which I would highly recommend if you're a Canadian advisor, um, especially with everything that's been happening with the pandemic, we need all the voices we can for the travel advisor community um, to be lobbying and advocating for us. So Avery, what's the best way to reach you or learn more about ACTA? You can reach me at any time at A Campbell, so A-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L at acta.ca. You can visit our website, acta.ca, and you can go to our contact us and you'll see uh, phone numbers and uh, the contact information for our membership managers and learn more about our organization. You can also follow the work that we're doing on social media, um, uh, specifically Twitter and LinkedIn are, are great resources to follow uh, our advocacy work uh, in promoting the tra travel agent interests uh, in Canada. Wonderful. Well, we will put those links in for everybody. Um, and thank you again for joining us. Have a great weekend, Avery. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so let's move into our other questions. So um, our second question today comes from, oh, this is anonymous. So they say, when you say travel agents can offer payment plans when a supplier doesn't, how is that done? Um, if the supplier wants payment in full, how can the travel agent offer payments in this situation and how will the supplier get paid if you do so? I'm asking as a new agent. All right. So first of all, I think what's happening here is Anonymous is uh, was probably looking at one of our articles. Um, let me pull all this up. So I'm just going to the site again. And what I'm going to do is the search box at the very top is I'll just go ahead and type in, um, I think it's three real life ways, three real life ways. Yeah. Three real life ways travel agents save you money. So this is an article, a really popular article of ours that gives very tangible things that a travel advisor can do that an OTA or an online travel agency can't. So if you haven't run across this article, it's actually really fantastic. Um, you'll want to take a look and we'll put a link to that. But essentially, one of the things that we talk about here that a travel advisor can do that gives them a leg up over these OTAs is that you can pay installments for your uh, for your trips, for most of your trips, um, especially if you're doing packages and things like that. So when we get the question, um, I think when Anonymous is asking, when we're saying travel agents can offer payment plans when the supplier doesn't, what that really should say is travel agents can offer payment plans when the OTA doesn't. Um, and how that works, so now they're asking if the supplier wants payment in full, how can the travel agent offer payments in this situation? And will that supplier get paid? And how will they get paid if you do so? So when you do these payment plans, they have to be booked in advance. So if somebody's you know, booking a month out and booking their cruise or their vacation package, the supplier is going to want payment in full. Um, so the kind of asterisks on this cool thing travel advisors can do is that it's only for, it only applies um, for a certain amount of time before departure. So that's gonna vary by what you're booking and who you're booking with. Um, but you can look at anywhere from maybe like 45 to 90 days before departure would be kind of a good uh, 
a good window on when they're still able. If they book before that, they'll be able to do it in installments. And the supplier will set the dates on when those payments need to be put in. And just a tip for you, Anonymous, because I know that you're brand new, always tell them if the date says that it's June 10th that it's due, don't tell them June 10th. Tell them like a week or 10 days early. So that gives you a lot of wiggle room and makes it so you can ease thing over if you're if you're not able to get a hold of the client or the client pays you late. Um, that way you're still meeting those deadlines. So let me see. I think there was another part of the question. And how will the, okay. Um, yeah, so if the supplier wants payment in full, you really can't offer any payment plans after that. You could, but it would be very risky on your behalf. And I would never, ever recommend that because that puts all everything on you. So um, if you're having to put out money for that final payment because you're letting your client not pay for it, well, if the client walks away, then that's your money um, and that's going to be a problem. So I would never put your money out there for a client's trip. Um, and just make sure you do the payment plans uh, that the supplier offers. And they'll walk you through everything as you're doing the checkout on their online um, purchase cart or if you're calling into their reservation line. So hope that helps out. We're going to put that link um, into the article for the three ways travel agents can save you money. And then our last question of the day, and while I'm looking this up, um, don't forget... Uh, we have our survey going on, our annual travel advisor survey. You can go to hostagencyreviews.com slash survey and take the survey there. It's, it's relatively quick um, and we want to hear from everyone, whether you're a new advisor, experienced, if you're an employee, if you're an independent contractor. Uh, we have already had over a thousand advisors take it. We offer the information and the reports that come out of this free on our site. Uh, and it's really valuable for not only organizations like ASTA or ACTA, um, but it's also really great for you as an advisor for benchmarking. Um, we do things like how much you should be, what the average um, or median income that new advisors make versus three to five years, versus if you're there for 15 years. We go over what types of fees people are charging for, um, how much they're charging for, and what specific services they're charging for. So it can be a really great way to get insights and competitive intelligence um, in a very useful way. So again, please go ahead and take that. It closes next week on June 15th. Uh, so again, go to hostagencyreviews.com slash survey, and we'll drop that link in the comments as well. All right, so our last question for today, and then it's the end. Of, it's time for the weekend. Uh, okay. This question says, I take, this is from Tukaram, and Tukaram asks, I have, pe I take people on tours twice a year, once to India and once to the Mediterranean. Very lucky. Uh, it's about 60 plus people each time, and I end up figuring out the air travel for almost everyone, which is 120 tickets per year. Is it worth hooking up with a host agency considering my limited volume? Thanks again for engaging with me. So Tukaram, that is a very involved question because uh, there's a lot of different variables within it. So I would say that um, it, it very well might be worth it for you. So some things you would want to consider um, if everybody is going to be in the same flight, if they're flying in from the same cities, or if you're having them say everyone meets in Washington, D.C. and they fly out from there. Um, so there's a that's kind of one of the things that's going to depend on. It's going to depend, are they on the same airlines? Because uh, you might be able to charter something out 
depending on if everybody's again coming out of the same city. Um, if they're flying first class or business class, um, and even just international, a lot of host agencies have contracts for that international air, depending on what airline it is. Um, and that could actually give you quite a bit of boosted commission on your product. So I would definitely say chat with different host agencies and ask them, um, tell them exactly, you know, that you're doing 60 plus people, let them know uh, if people are buying first class or business class airline tickets at all, letting them know that it's international um, and then asking them what kind of airline contracts they have available to you. And airline contracts are just kind of like private fares that you can get commission on. They're either private fares or you can get um, commission on these tickets that other people may not be able to. The other option you can look at with a host agency is you can go through a consolidator and consolidators kind of do the same thing. They're wholesalers of air. So they buy a bunch of air in bulk and they say they're gonna sell it. And because of that, they get a little bit deal better deal than what you might find with a public fair. So there's a lot of different places for you to play around to see, to maximize kind of the income that you can make from this. Um, so I would say it is definitely worth you looking into, but things you'll want to have collected before you start talking with host agencies is um, if there's specific airlines you're flying, the times of year that you're going to be flying, because some of the airline contracts vary by season and they have specific dates. Um, they also have the class of service, which is again why I would say know if there's any business or first class people going along there. Know the city pairs of where your clients are coming from. And again, that could be they're all coming from one city and you require that they get air to that city. And I'll, I'm going to put in a link um, to a recent travel agent chatter that we did, which is another one of our longer in-depth podcasts. And we worked with Javon Harley and she does these big group trips and she does the air and she requires that everybody flies into a certain city and then she does the air from there. So that might get a little bit of inspiration for you and you can take a listen to that. But I think that should help you out Chukram. And if you have any other questions, let me know. For those of you that are listening in and wondering what's on the docket for next week. So first of all, send in any of your questions. If you have any, go to hostagencyreviews.com slash Friday15 and you can submit your questions there. Um, next week, we'll be answering questions on the etiquette of using affiliate links in your blog or newsletter. The difference between IATA, I-A-T-A, and IATAN, I-A-T-A-N, uh, which some people may not be clear on. I know it took me years and years and years to figure that out. Um, and then the other thing we'll be talking about is someone wrote in asking about promoting suppliers on your site. So that is all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will see you next week and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, everyone.